0: If you weren't awake, now you are. You're welcome. It's good to worship with all of you this morning. Got a couple of new faces, so I'm going to do a little more introduction uh, than I had planned to, but that's good. Uh, So, we're studying the book of James, and our focus in this study is to understand true faith. And what we've talked about over and over and over again through this series is that true faith, we've learned two things. Number one, that true faith continues to grow, it never stops. And then also, that true faith always reveals itself. And so, as we're looking at this New Testament wisdom literature, our goal is not to gain a to do list of of ways that we should act or things that we should do, but rather to look at this and examine our own personal lives and ask the Lord, what what areas do we need to grow in our faith? That's our our goal. Last week, we covered the first half of James chapter 3, where James addresses how we use our words. And that that those words are either going to grow the kingdom or they're going to destroy the kingdom. We learn that as disciple makers, we all are disciple makers. That's what Jesus has called us to be. That all of us have the responsibility of teaching others the gospel. And with that role comes great responsibility. Through our obedience and testimony, the world gets to see the glory of God. We're reminded of Jesus' instructions to shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to God. So it's through our obedience, through the things that God calls us to do. When we do those things, people are going to see that, and we're not going to be the ones to get credit for it. God is. And I love that, that song we did just a minute ago, uh, praying through worship that through the things that we do, that God would be given glory through the way that we love, through our peace, through our joy. The danger that James addresses that that comes in that process is found in our own hearts. Remember, we've talked about the fact that all of us are born in sin and are in need of redemption. And even though we've given our lives to Christ, there is still sanctification that has to happen inside of us. It's Jesus continually working day in, day out to get the nastiness out of us. Even though we're a new creation, we're moving in that direction, there's still a need for us to be sanctified. And unfortunately, that process is not going to get done until we get to heaven. Boy, I was thinking about this this morning. It wouldn't it be handy if it was like a class you went through for like six or eight weeks and you're like, all right, done, new creation. That'd make life a whole lot easier, but uh, fortunately, that's not the way it works. The only way that we can combat that danger is by being intentional in letting God have control over our lives, for listening for the things that he's saying and then doing what he tells us to do. It's through spending time with God on a daily basis and obeying what he says that we get to see him and others get to see the truth about who God is. And only God can redeem the sinfulness that is still found in us. It's by letting him work in us and through us that the world gets a glimpse of who he is. It's by us sharing the struggles in our lives, the things that God is working out of us. It's by being open about that, that God is able to reveal himself to the world around us. So James is going to build on that idea today. We're going to finish out chapter 3. And this section at the end of chapter three is called by a lot of theologians, the meta of James, which is just a fancy way of saying it's like the crescendo or the culmination. It's kind of the high point of the whole book. And we're going to see some things that we've already talked about being repeated today as James is kind of putting forth like this church is what I'm talking about. He's going to bring it all together today. And I want to remind us as we, as we move into this today, before we read our scripture, that this letter that James is writing is writing—he's writing it to a church that's in the midst of turmoil, and the cause of that is the issue uh, of debating theology. And I want to remind us of the culture in which this happened. So these are are Jewish people who have chosen to believe in Christ, who are living in a world that is dominated by Rome. And Romans loved to debate—not just to debate, but to take a hill and stand and die on that idea that they are presenting. That was. The culture. That was what was expected. And so James is addressing this church who's having these debates and debates can be healthy if they're done in the right way. But James in this book describes, and we're going to see this later in chapter four and chapter five, he describes these debates as war, which is not how the church ought to be described. So it's good to have healthy discussion. It's good for us to to talk about and to wrestle with our beliefs, but not to the point where it can be described as war. Can we get, uh, everybody agree on that? Okay. So This is who James is talking uh, uh, to, and and it's important for us to to understand that as we dive in today because James is going to be talking about the topic of wisdom. Today we're going to to ask the question, is the wisdom that we're exhibiting, is it from above or is it from below? So look with me today. We're going to read verses 13 through 18, and I'm going to read it the first time in the CSB, and then we're going to look at the message translation in a few minutes because I think it does a good job of, of laying it out there. So, starting in verse 13, James says, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have a bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So there's three ideas that James is gonna lay out for us today. I wanna kind of give you this in advance so you can see where we're going. The first one is that God is the source of peace and wisdom. The second is that earthly wisdom, and I got that in quotations, is an imitation of godly wisdom that always leads to evil. And then the third is that heavenly wisdom is holy and it leads to a true understanding of God. So I want us to read this today in the message because like I said a while ago, I really think that this translation helps kind of get it in our hearts a little more. So let's look at this again, verse 13 through 18, but in the message this time. It says, do you want to be counted as wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. (laughs) Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish uh, convening. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats real wisdom, God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is the is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you have the heart if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and with honor. So James kicks off this this section with a rhetorical question, right? He says, who among you is wise and understanding? Or as the message puts it, do you want to be counted as wise to build a reputation for the wisdom? He's, He's asking, who wants to be identified as wise? So raise your hand if you want to be identified as wise. Okay, good, awesome. That's a good thing, all right? I think this is one that I can safely say that the people that are hearing it would also raise their hands, right? Remember, we just talked about the culture. Everybody wants to be the guy who's right. Okay. All of us want to be seen as wise. And if wisdom is our goal, we need to remember one vitally important thing. And that's point number one for today is that God is the source of peace and wisdom. If we want to be wise, this is where we find it. And I know that that point may seem like a no brainer, like, well, you shouldn't have to say that God is the source of wisdom. Like we kind of get that. But I also want to say that James put it in his letter for a reason, right? There's a condition that's found in all of us is in that condition is that we want to be right. That is something that is innate inside of us, right? Talk to a three-year-old and tell them that they're wrong and you will see that nature come out. But also, you know, think about it this way. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, I wanna be the dumbest guy at work today, right? That's not usually on your to-do list unless you wanna get fired and then that, you know, that may work, okay? But all of us have a desire to act wisely and to do wise things. We have a desire to make things better not worse. Like you're not in the kitchen cooking and you take a taste of it and go, "Mm, you know what would make that taste worse? (laughs) Right? That's not, that's not how our brains work. We all want things to, Kyle called up to me. Here we go. We all want things to be better than they already are, right? Isn't that our goal is to look at how the world is now and make it better than it was. We talked about that several messages ago. I I tell you, my dad grew up as a Boy Scout. I didn't get that privilege but he taught me a lot of things, and one of the things that's really important is that you leave a campsite better than you found it. And I think that's our goal in this world is we want to live our lives and leave the world a better place for all those that are going to inherit behind us. So if we put ourselves in this story, we're sitting in a room full of people who all love God, discussing what it means to follow him, we can feel the weight of wanting to get that right, correct? Our goal is to understand who God is, and and if we're in that room, who this person Jesus was, and we hear all the stories of things that he's done, and if we really think about that, doesn't that sound a lot like a life group? Us sitting together, studying the word, trying to make application for our own lives? We read scripture, and we try to understand it, we want to help other people understand it as well. That's what's going on in this church that James is writing to. The problem comes in when we try to explain scripture from our own logic and our own understanding instead of asking God, what is he trying to say? Do you see the point? If I go to scripture and say, I think it means this without doing any study, without having any conversation with God, I am teaching something that is my idea, not God's. I quoted Francis Chan during uh, our sermon back in James chapter 1 uh, it was titled, Talk Less and Listen More. But I want to I hear this again. God brought this back to mind this week as I was studying this passage. Francis said in um, one of his uh, messages at Passion this year, he says, I think one of the most destructive practices of your generation is that you value your own thoughts way too much. When God says, my thoughts aren't the same as yours, and you want to look inside and you want to tell everyone else what you've been thinking and what you've been feeling rather than opening up the Word of God and saying, these truths are way beyond mine. And he references Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 where he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In the context of us teaching others about God that we talked about last week, we must be certain that what we are teaching is from God and not from us. We do that by teaching what we learn from God, not by just thinking about what we think that passage might mean. I want to be clear that I'm not saying that you have to have all the answers. The point of this is not to pressure you up anytime you open your mouth to make sure that you're 100% correct. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, how we do that. Nor am I saying that we should correct every little thing that other people say. In fact, it's that kind of know-it-all behavior that James is addressing. Because they're in this church setting. Remember, I told you it was not like a life group setting where they were having these war discussions. It was in a setting like this, in a church service. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit for our understanding and what we are teaching. We'll dig into more in a minute in the final point, but if we don't do that, if we don't spend time asking God what He's trying to reveal through a passage, we're going to be in a lot of trouble because earthly wisdom is an imitation of godly wisdom that leads to evil. And I think all of us are more familiar with this than than we might realize. I'll give you an example. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that dancing is sinful? Did you know that? Okay. I went to a Baptist college that didn't allow dances because the churches in the Baptist convention said that that was sinful. But we can have foot functions and hoedowns Those were acceptable. Do you you see you see where I'm going with this? Okay. You may think that example isn't necessarily evil, but I would say, think about this, anytime we act like or say something is Scripture that isn't, we've crossed a line. Jesus had words with the Pharisees over this kind of false teaching, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 13. Look at this with me. I don't think it's up on the screen, but you can look it up in your Bible. It says, But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work could be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Wow. Just start with that. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, don't each of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And there's a lot more examples like this. But what Jesus is getting at is, you are making up rules that I didn't intend. You are teaching these people something that I did not intend for you to teach them. Church, anytime we twist what God has said, we are not only sinning, but we are also teaching a false gospel. Look at what James says again in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, mean spirit and ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's so important when we're thinking about what it is that God is saying, When we're, especially when we're sitting under someone else's teaching, that we spend enough time with God on a passage before we teach it. To make sure that we understand what god is trying to say and then if we're sitting under one's teaching we need to listen carefully open the bible for yourself spend time discussing and digesting what god is saying don't just take it at face value let me give you another example when i was growing up you may or may not know this about me but i participated in rodeos every weekend and at least two to three nights during the week i was in the roping pen learning how to rope calves learning how to handle horses all the stuff that you have to do in order to compete in calf roaming that's what i did okay as a result of those years of experience i can look at a person and tell you if they are actually a cowboy or cowgirl did you know that okay if you show up in boots and claim to be something i'm gonna be able to tell you right away you know why that is i'm gonna tell you a secret i'm gonna let you in on a secret if someone has to advertise that they are something they are not that thing, Okay? If a guy walks in and he got jewels on the back of his jeans, he ain't no cowboy. Okay? I'm just telling you right now. Just, that's just not how it works. Okay? Go ahead. You're thinking about it still. You're thinking about it still. And those are real popular, by the way. Here's the deal. Unfortunately, people are a lot better at pretending to be spiritual than they are at pretending to be a cowboy. And we have to be careful. James describes what he's describing in these verses is deception. And I put this up on the screen because I just want you to see it. This is from a theological workbook. It says, deception is the intentional misleading of another. Many biblical characters use deceptive means to achieve their purposes at the cost of others. And that's not just something that happened in biblical times. It's something that happens today, unfortunately. It's not new. It's not unique to our culture either. Look at me with this example from Acts and how Paul deals with deception. It says in Acts chapter 13, When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at him and said... You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? So as soon as Paul sees what's happening, and I want to point out that it's under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he calls out the deception. Rather than shrinking away from it, he calls it out for what it is. If you think about it, deception is the same game the enemy has been using since the very beginning. When he convinced Eve, he said, surely God said you wouldn't die. He deceived her. And he's been using that same tactic in the church over and over and over again since that time. Deception is sometimes blatant, like the examples that we just read in Acts chapter 13. But sometimes it can come from people or places where we least expect it. Look at this example from Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 23. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but to my father in heaven. And also, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes to be killed and raised on the third day. Pause. So here's Peter who makes this profession of faith. He says, I know that you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, bless you because flesh and blood didn't tell you that. You perceive that on your own, okay? Peter figured it out and he says, on this rock, I will build the church. And then look what happens next. Jesus begins to tell them about what's going to happen. And Peter looked at him and pulled him aside and rebuked him and said, Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. Peter, the rock. One moment, he's the rock. And the next moment, Jesus calls him Satan. Church, anytime we look at Scripture and we try to make it to where it fits to our advantage, we are doing something evil. I would say that this hits closer to home for us than the straight up trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. It's not that Peter was trying to do something wrong, he wasn't trying to be deceitful. Anytime we put our emphasis on what we want or what God has said, we are being deceitful, and that's what happens with Peter. He didn't want Jesus to have to go through those things. But that's not what God had intended. James goes on to say in verse 15 and 16 that it becomes obvious over time when deceit is happening. He says, such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And man, that's a strong word. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. What I want us to understand is sometimes deception is easy to spot, And sometimes it's not. If we misrepresent God, you and I, intentionally or not, it's going to cause an issue for other believers. Proverbs 16, verse 19. Remember, James references the Proverbs a whole lot. He says, It says, a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. That's what deception does, it stirs up trouble among the brothers. When we begin to see turmoil in the, cho- in the church, chances are high that there's someone who has stepped out of sync with God and is pushing their own agenda. They are pushing what they want to see happen. So how do we safeguard ourselves from that? How do, we, how do we recognize it and how do we deal with it? We look to God for wisdom. This is point number three. Heavenly wisdom is holy and it leads to a true understanding of God. Let's look at what James goes on to say in verse 17 and 18 again. He says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. So church, we find wisdom by staying connected to the vine. We find wisdom by staying connected to God. God's going to reveal himself to us. He's going to show us what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. We don't find wisdom haphazardly as we're fumbling through life. We have to go and look for it. We have to ask for it. We studied Ecclesiastes a few years ago, which we believe was written by King Solomon, and he's kind of regarded as the wisest king to ever live Look how he got that title of the wisest king. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses seven, starting in verse 7. It said, That night God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask, what should I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and faithful love to my father David, and you have made me king in his place. Lord God, let your promise to my father David now come true, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust on the earth. Now grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people for who can judge this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this was in your heart, and you have not requested riches, wealth, or glory for the life of those who hate you, and you have not even requested long life, but you have requested for yourself wisdom and knowledge you me judge my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are given to you. And I'll also give you riches, wealth, and glory, unlike what was given to the kings who were before you or will be given to those after you. Church, it's God's desire that we know him, that we take his wisdom and he's going to give us all that we can possibly handle if we will just ask for it. If you desire wisdom, if you want to make sure that you are representing God well, if you want to make sure that you are teaching correctly, just stay connected to God. Abide in him, stay connected to the vine. I love the way that that message translation puts it. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and is reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. If there is someone in your life and you believe that they are being deceitful and their life doesn't match up with that verse, red flag, have some more conversation with God. He goes on to say, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God, and enjoy its result only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating each other with dignity and honor. Wisdom from above is the key to living the kind of life that God has called us to live, the kind of life that God wants us to have. I want the kind of community that James is talking about, and I know that you do too. Robustness comes from sharpening one another with respect and with honor, that when we have disagreements, especially about scriptural things, that we approach it with respect and with honor, and that we dig into the word, not for the sake of us being right, but for the sake of the group understanding what God is trying to say. We develop that kind of, when we develop that kind of community, we are strong, and we're in sync with God and with one another. In that kind of setting, it's far more difficult for anyone to be deceived, because instead of me having to rely only on me to see the deceit, I've got a group of people around me who are all headed in the same direction together. And if someone comes into that group or someone that's in that group tries to lead us in another direction, there's gonna be a whole host of people who are going, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not sure that's correct. And that's a good thing. Glenn has used the, the, the example for years of being tuned to the same tuning fork. The Holy Spirit's the tuning fork. And if we're all tuning to the Holy Spirit, we're all going to be moving in the, in the same direction. If the members of our groups are spending time in the Word and are constantly connected to the Vine, they're going to spot deception before it has a chance to take root. They're going to see it. And, and I want to remind you, when we talk about deception, we see that in a super negative light, and it is. But I'm not talking about somebody coming in trying to purposefully upseat someone or mess up the group. I'm talking about somebody who is like Peter, who not out of evil ambition, but simply out of misunderstanding or out of a desire that's in their heart leads in their own direction. Those things are a lot harder to see and a lot harder to deal with if we're not all connected together. That growth, that spending time in the vine, that's how true faith is developed, is by us studying the word together, having healthy, robust conversations about it so that we can all understand what God is trying to teach us, how he's trying to affect our lives, so that when we share the truth that we know by experience as we've studied his word, that we are sharing things that are good, that are wise. Somebody told me uh, an example from, from their job just this week where they felt overwhelmed and didn't really know how to move forward in a particular section. And so they just said, God, how, how do I do with this? I mean, this, this is work. It's not like How do I lead Bible study? It was, I'm overwhelmed at work. How should I deal with this? And God gave him a plan. And guess what? It worked. Some of my greatest successes in my job at Petron have not been the great ideas that Will comes up with. It's me going, God, I'm not sure how to deal with this. What do you want me to do? And then I do that thing that he tells me to do and people come to my office and be like, man, how did you get that to work? I I ask God and he told me to do that. They don't really know how to respond to that. But I've been doing it for years, and eventually, it's going to start clicking with people. Then I'm not successful because Will's real smart, because if you know me very well, you know I'm not. Okay? Nobody better say amen. I heard them chuckle. Our goal, all of our goals, is to pursue the Lord. Not just in the Christian aspects of our life, but in all of our lives. With everything that we're dealing with, say, God, this person at work I'm really struggling with. How do I treat them? How do I deal with this specific thing? And then listen to what he says and do that. Even if it makes no sense at all. If you're confident that he said it, do that thing and then watch for what he does. If we're going to grow this church into what God has visioned for us to be, if we're going to individually grow in our faith, we have to be committed to doing the hard things. To being a companion like we heard about in the kids stuff this morning, being a real companion for one another. That when someone's suffering, that we're there with them in the hard stuff, helping them trudge through it. God wants to and can do amazing things through each of us if we will allow him to do so. Take some time this week to let God reveal if there are any areas in your life that you have not surrendered to him. Areas of your life where you are trusting in your own wisdom, wisdom from below instead of wisdom from above. Because a lot of times, church, we don't see that. We think we're smart. We may not say that out loud, but we assume we are headed in the right direction. So take some time to say, God, look at my whole life. Just lay it all out there and say, is there any area in my life where I'm trusting in my own knowledge, my own logic, my own wisdom? And if so, take control of that part of my life. That's how we develop true faith. That's how we move together in the same direction. Is by tuning to the same tuning fork, by staying connected to the vine. I can give you illustration after illustration after illustration. But it all comes back to this. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow our church, if we want the people around us to see God's glory, we have to fall in line with what he's asking us to do. We have to follow the wisdom from above and not from below. Let's choose this week wisdom from above. Let's pray. God, it's hard sometimes when we talk about things that are negative, it's hard to to even want to go there. God, I ask that this week, even today, Father, I ask that today that you would give each of us a moment to just lay our lives before you and, and to seek out the areas where we're leading in our own wisdom and not yours. Fathers, we're kind of wrestling through this passage this week. I ask that your spirit would invade our lives and reveal those areas to us. And God, that By doing so, we would experience the peace and the joy that you have wanted us to experience. God, that we would come to see and understand that when we follow your wisdom, not only is it for our our betterment, but it's for our joy. God, I ask that you would take the blinders off the areas in our lives where we need to follow you. God, I ask that you would open our eyes to anyone that's in our lives that is trying to be a deceiver, especially if that's one of us. God, I ask that you would reveal to that and that we could could deal with that in love and in peace. God, that you could build that robust community that you've called us to be. Jesus, we ask these things in your name.